0: So this passage from Galatians is an interesting one. It's one that I think uh, most of us have seen, especially that verse 28, right? That's the money verse. That's actually really the center of the entire letter, this letter to Paul from Galatians, or letter to Galatians from Paul. Um, But I think there's one question, and this is rhetorical, this is not an all play, but there's one question that kind of lies at the center of all of this, especially at this passage. And that is, who are we? And you can see that on multiple different levels. Who am I as an individual? Who are we as a community who are we as the body of christ there's a lot of different levels to that but that's really that identity question is really what paul's drilling down at here and to understand this text look we follow the revised common lectionary here at genesis and i love the revised common lectionary there is one significant drawback to it and that is we sort of bop around between scriptures all over the place there's not a lot of continuity going from one scripture to another we don't do series we don't do five six straight weeks on the letter to the Galatians, right? And so when you pluck a text out of its context, it becomes very easy to read things into that text that the author and the spirit never actually intended. And this is an example of that, because if you look through the first four verses of this text, you you might get the impression that Paul dislikes the law intensely. And that's not the case. That's not what's going on. So to understand Paul's arguments about the law in this text, you really have to pull back a little bit and understand the context of this entire letter and what he's drilling down on. So Galatia is not a church and it's not a city. It was actually a province in a place called Asia Minor, which is where modern-day Turkey is. It's that northern stretch of land on the Mediterranean. Galatia was a part of that, not the entirety of it, but was a part of that. And there were several churches in that province. And as a Roman province, it's populated mainly by Gentiles, so non-Jews. There may have been some Jews in some of those churches, but mainly it was Gentiles in those churches. Now you might think, knowing that that gentiles would have a majority and so they would sort of run the show but that's not actually what was happening and that's why Paul's writing one of the reasons Paul's writing this letter you'll recall in acts there's a story about the meeting in Jerusalem where they had the big battle and discussion and debate about whether gentiles needed to convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus and it was decided while there's a couple of very basic things that gentiles should do they didn't need to full on accept the law accept the torah in order to follow Jesus. That was the decision of this Jerusalem council. But there was also a bunch of people that disagreed with that. And so as Paul plants these churches in Galatia, which are mostly Gentiles, there are other teachers that come along, there are other preachers that come along and say, yeah, actually, that's not true. You really do need to convert to Judaism in order to follow Christ. And so there are some of the Gentiles in in these Galatian churches that are starting to do that, that are starting to say, yeah, actually, we'll just go ahead and convert to Judaism and we'll follow the law, we'll follow Torah, and that is going to be our path to Jesus. And that's what Paul's drilling down on here. That's what Paul's reacting to in this passage. Saying, no, 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 no. Faith in Christ is a thing unto itself. Anything that tells you it has to mediate your faith in Christ is a block. Is, a, is a, something that lessens the actual impact of faith in Christ. So anybody that tells you that you have to, as a Gentile, become Jewish in order to follow Jesus is putting an obstacle in your path. Stop that. Don't let that happen. Because the other part of it is, as you, as you convert from Gentile to Jewish, you're changing who you are. You're changing a piece of yourself. And one of Paul's big themes in a lot of his letters is this idea of unity in diversity, is this idea that the body of Christ is at its best when we all bring our most authentic selves to it. And to the degree that you're changing yourself to become more Jewish in order to be able to get to Christ, you're lessening your authentic, the authentic self that you're bringing to the body of Christ. And this happens in a lot of different ways. It happens even in our, in our modern lives, right? When I was in college at, at Eau Claire, uh, anybody remember Montgomery Wards, the old department store? Okay, that company tried to build a Best Buy clone. They were going to take on Best Buy, and so they created this, these stores called Electric Avenue and they built one in Eau Claire. And so I got hired there as a part-time job while I was in school, while they were building out the store. And so all the people that had come up from Montgomery Ward's home base, which was in Alabama, are coming up to be in charge of this store and they all had the Southern drawl and they all said, y'all a lot. And, and unconsciously, honestly, I found myself starting to have that drawl creep into my language because here were these authority figures who I wanted to, was, was seeking approval from that's talked in this specific way. So if I talked more like they talked, then maybe they would see me in a a better light. I was changing who I was in this small matter. And I still say y'all a bunch. I mean, and I never said that before I started working there. And it's still a part of my language. That's still somewhere in my neural uh, wiring. It's just, it's the strangest thing. But it's easy to slip. It's easy to start to try and change a little bit of who you are. What Paul's pushing back against here. When he has all of these... If you look at those first four verses. Now, before faith came, we were imprisoned and guarded under the law. That's kind of negative, right? Uh, Until faith would be revealed. Therefore, the law was our disciplinarian. Now, the law is a disciplinarian. Until Christ came so that we might be justified in faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer subject to a disciplinarian. Talking about the law again. For in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. You, You could very easily take that out of this context and think that paul hates the law right paul doesn't hate the law paul hates the idea that gentiles have to change themselves to bring themselves before christ christ wants you and your most authentic self to be part of the body of christ the body of christ is at its best when it's full of diversity when it's full of our true authentic selves that's what we're trying to get to and, of course, that brings us to verse 28, which is the money verse, right? This is the one that we all have seen on bumper stickers and on wall hangings and all these things, right? There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female, for you all of you are one in Christ Jesus. This is a tricky verse. We think we know what it means, right? But there's nuance to it. Now, there's, no long- so there's three categories that Paul's drilling down on here. Remember, we're in a Roman province, so politics is part of the deal. So there's three kind of categories that Paul's talking about here. Race and ethnicity, socioeconomic status, and gender, right? Fortunately, we've got those things all figured out now. We're totally good. There's no disagreements whatsoever. Any- no, that's still stuff we deal with today, right? Very much so. And how do we deal with it today? Well, one of the ways you'll hear people deal with it today is, well, I don't see color which is a good intention in the sense that I wanna treat everybody the same despite what their skin color is. I don't see gender. I wanna treat everybody the same. I don't care what their gender is. That's a good prompting. That's a good inspiration, right? But here's the problem. The diversity that comes with various color skins, various ethnicities and races, the diversity that comes in different socioeconomic statuses, the, difference, the diversity that comes through different genders is part of the body of Christ. All of that is intended to be part of the body of Christ. So if we just ignore it and we say we don't see it, then how are people bringing their truest, authentic selves to the body of Christ? So that's kind of a problem. So what is Paul trying to say here? If he says that those things don't exist because we're all one in Christ, aren't we supposed to ignore them? No. Paul's not arguing against difference here. Paul's arguing against dominance. Paul's arguing against using those things to pump ourselves up at the expense of other people. To say, I'm a Jew, you're a Greek. I'm up here, you're down here. I'm a master, you're a slave. I'm up here, you're down here. I'm a man, you're a woman. I'm up here, you're down here. That's what Paul's pushing back against. For you are all one in Christ. Jesus means that we find our true value as human beings, our true value in Christ. Look, I'm a straight, cisgendered, middle class, male living in Minnesota. Those are all things that can be said about me. None of that makes me better or worse than anybody else. My value is found in the fact that I'm created in the image of my creator, that I'm a child of God. That's my value. And nothing can exceed that, nothing at all. And if we can hold on to that, if we can really wrap our arms around that and understand the truth of that, that all of us are created in the image of our creator, regardless of race or ethnicity, socioeconomic status or gender, all of us are created in the image of our creator, that's where our value lies and that makes our values all equal, then these, these differences that we have in race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status and in gender don't become things that we can dominate each other with. They become differences that we can all learn from, that we can all grow from, that we can all expand into. They're not something to be dominated, they're something to be celebrated. That's the idea of the differences. The differences are real and we should acknowledge those. That's That's not a bad thing. All those things I just mentioned about myself mean that I I experience life in a very specific way. And it's different than pretty much anybody else in this room, as everybody here has a slightly different lens. But the further you expand into areas of race and ethnicity and socioeconomic status and gender, the more different those lenses become. And that isn't a value judgment at all. Every single one of those people is made in the image of their creator. Their value is in Christ. It's not a value judgment, it's just a different way of experiencing life. And if I can accept that different people have experienced life differently than I have, then a lot of that need to judge how they do what they do falls away. Because of course they're gonna do things differently than how I do things. They've experienced life in a completely different fashion than I have. So instead of judging how they're doing things, it's time for me to ask questions. Really, what led you to that? What, what, what brought you to that place? What brought you to that decision? What brought you to that way of approaching things? There are a thousand different opportunities in any kind of diverse setting for me to learn, for me to grow, for me to expand. That's what the function of the body of Christ. And if we're going to be doing real talk here at Genesis, look, not a lot of racial ethnic diversity here. There just isn't. There just isn't. That isn't anything we've done wrong. We've talked about this in the past that there really isn't a whole lot you can do outside of engaging in the community. But look, even Robbinsdale 74% white, according to the latest census data. It's not anything that you necessarily snap your fingers and do this program or do this kind of worship music and suddenly you're going to have a diverse congregation. But think about the congregation that meets in this chapel after us, right? Not a ton of diversity there either, just on the other side of the coin. And the thing of it is, together, Genesis and the spiritual church of God are all part of the body of Christ. And within those two churches, while it may, you may not see a lot of racial and ethnic diversity on the surface, dig into that. Look, my family, my entire mom's side of the family is French-Canadian. My dad's side is German, and we think English. We used to think Irish, and then we did some genealogical work, and it turns out that's actually they're Brits. But all of those elements form part of who I am form how I see things, form family traditions that have formed me, right? And I bet if we went around the room and had a conversation at some point about everybody's backgrounds, you'd get some fantastic stories about how people's backgrounds led them to be who they are. So if we look around the room and we stop looking at ourselves as a bunch of white people and we look at ourselves as Scandinavians or as you know, French Canadians or as Polish or British or whatever it is, we start to see that there's already diversity here to a degree. And to the degree we add people of color, which we would love to do, we're just furthering that diversity. we were already working down that road. We're just furthering it a little bit. Now, there is no Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male or female. Those things make up who we are, but they do not determine our value in any way, shape, or form. And if we grab a hold of that last line, we we love to talk about the first one in that, right? All the things that we're not supposed to be. But we sort of skip over that last half of that verse, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. We have to start thinking about where we set our boundaries up a little bit, right? We talk a lot of times at Genesis about the idea of a centered set theology or a bounded set theology, Right? The center set theology says that there's some things in the very center of the bullseye that we all as Christians can agree on. And that everything else is up for debate and discussion and disagreement. A bounded set theology says we're going to set up this fence and if you don't believe anything on the inside of the fence, you're on the outside. When we're talking about diversity and we're talking about the body of Christ, where do you think we ought to land there, right? That center set is how we roll here at Genesis and it's very, very important. So when you set up your boundaries, we're not setting up, well, if you're Jew, you're on the inside. If you're on, if you're Greek, you're on the outside. If you're a master, you're in. If you're a slave, you're out. If you're a male, you're in. If you're a female, you're out. We're not doing that. That's what the neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male or female, that's what it's driving at. There are contradictions in the Bible. But those contradictions there are people that will teach you that there are not contradictions in the Bible. I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to force you to do the mental and hermeneutical gymnastics that it takes to try and rearrange all these things to make them all actually fit together. There are contradictions in the Bible. But that's, I don't think that's a bad thing because I don't approach the Bible like I approach a history book on the life and times of Abraham Lincoln that we would write here in 2022. Holding the Bible to that standard is absurd because that's not how history and ancient literature was written at the time the Bible was written. Look through the Gospels. There's one Gospel in the resurrection story that has two women at the tomb. There's another one that has four women at the tomb. There's another one that has one woman at the tomb. Think about, again, the kind of mental gymnastics you have to do to reconcile the fact that there's three very different reports there. You know where else there are contradictions? Eyewitness testimony. My dad's a retired police officer, and so I've heard about this many, many times. You can have a group of five people at a crime scene who all witnessed the same thing, and you can come up with five very different reports about what happened. Because each of those people brings all of that stuff, all of that lens, all the things that leads to who they are, everything that was happening to them up until the very minute they witnessed this crime, all of that influences how they see what happened. The details that they noticed, the details that they didn't notice. The details they sort of noticed, but not really. And that's how you get five different reports about the same thing. And it's the sum total of those reports that give the police and prosecutors the best idea of what actually happened at, those, at that scene. So when you're talking about those contradictions in the resurrection story, okay, was it two women? Was it four women? Was it one woman? We don't know. But what we know is that there were, it was a woman that was there. It was women that were there which is a remarkable detail given the time and place that this happened, that the first witness to the resurrection would be a female who couldn't testify to it in a Jewish court because of the way that laws were set up back then. So if you're gonna invent something to try and convince people that this, this thing actually happened, you wouldn't pick what was considered at the time an unreliable witness to do it, would you? No, and you certainly wouldn't have four different reports of how many of those women were there. Contradictions in the Bible exist, Because the best way to fully understand the work of God is not through a single authoritative source, but through the diverse views and opinions and experiences of all of humanity. The body of Christ is at its best when all of us bring our truest and most authentic full selves to the body of Christ. Now, there is no more Jew or Greek. There is no more slave or free. There is no more male or female. Yes, there is yes there is but it's not about value it's not about our worth as an individual it's not about that person that cut you off in traffic or the person at work that you just can't stand are not better or worse than you because they're different from you they're all created in the image of their creator they all have insurpassable worth in christ jesus their differences may annoy the heck out of you that's okay But there are also opportunities to learn. There are also opportunities to grow. So when we approach this passage and we say, who am I? Well, race and ethnicity, socioeconomic status, gender, that all plays a role in who we are. But it doesn't play a role in our overall value. It does play a role in who we are, but not in our overall value. When we talk about who we are as the body of Christ... That's where all of these differences become important and become, again, nothing to judge, but something to celebrate. So when you go through this passage and you ask yourself that question, think about your background, think about all the things that formed you, think about your father that helped make you who you are on this Father's Day. And then realize that your value way surpasses any of that because your value is found in Christ. But all that stuff's still there and it's an opportunity to learn. And it's an opportunity to grow, and it's an opportunity to become a better person in Christ, in the body of Christ. Amen? Amen. Endings are a place where life is remained.